I'm going to ask everybody to stand for the reading of the word of God. We stand in his presence because he is worthy of all praise. Amen. He's worthy of all honor and glory. So real quick, one verse of scripture, then I'll let you be seated. Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to look at verse 11. Here's what it says. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. The way that a person speaks to a friend. Wouldn't that be cool? Have conversations with God just like mano y mano. It would be wonderful. Then Moses, notice this, then Moses would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, son of Nun, that does not mean that he didn't have parents. He, he did. That also does not mean that his dad was a nun. That's, that's just his dad's name. I mean, somebody was already thinking that. I had to say it, right? If a joke gets stuck in your head and it doesn't come out, does it, anyone hear the tree fall in the forest? I don't know. That's just the way my brain works. But Then Moses would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua did not leave the tent. For the next few minutes, I'm going to be preaching, calling Joshua. Before you're seated, make sure to keep your Bibles open. Let's lift our hearts. Jesus, right now, fill this place with the sound of who you are. Make that sound just like you did in the book of Acts that draws us into your presence and does something so amazing in every one of us. Fill us all with your spirit in the name of Jesus. You can be seated. We're going to be jumping through several chapters and actually several books in the Bible. So keep your Bibles handy. It will be on the screen, but we'll be diving into this going really, really deep. We are in part six, I believe. You see, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who comes after Jacob? Joseph, Moses. We're in part six of our calling series. Have y'all enjoyed this so far? Anybody feel like you learned something about your calling? On the count of three, I want you to yell out real loud what you've learned about your calling. One, two, three, go. Awesome. We're closing this series out next Sunday, and then we are picking up the second part of this series where we are going to be learning how to take everything that we've learned and actually apply it in our lives. I want to take a couple seconds to first greet all of our family in Kenya. We love you. God bless you. Buena Asafiwe. Y'all are awesome. I love to hear what God is doing over there through the ministry of Pastor Kevin and Helen and also to Pastor John and Mary. We have nine churches over there in the nation of Kenya, and God is doing some really, really awesome things. And uh, Ashley and her family in Australia... We are excited about what God is doing in y'all. The family is expanding. Ashley's getting married. Congratulations. Very excited about that. And if, if you want to send her greetings, if you want to show up at her wedding, I'm sure she would be fine with that. Extra food for everybody. It's going to be awesome. But we are really leaning into who God has called us to be. Amen? We have dived into this. We've stretched. In fact, we believe that calling is so vitally important that it is a vital aspect of everything that we do. And if you walked in the, in the lobby this morning, right above the coffee bar, you saw right in the middle that this month we are uh, serving beans from Costa Rica. That's not just because they have good coffee. They do have good coffee. But the whole reason that that is there is because we want to remind you that we are a church that is around the world and that our job is to pray for people around the world, that the gospel would be spread throughout the nation of Costa Rica. And we're praying every time we drink a cup of coffee throughout the month of March and probably with the amount that we bought into April, we're going to be praying for people who are believers in Costa Rica that God would give them strength. So don't just drink a coffee when you drink it. Pray for somebody in that country. Amen. We're not a church that focuses inward. We're a church that focuses outward. Amen. All the preliminaries are out of the way. Y'all ready to get into the word of God? Today is the, the last of the six patriarchs that I'm going to preach through. We started with Abraham and we're ending with Joshua because these six individuals 
are, are the individuals where God shows us how calling actually works. And, and over the last six weeks, by the way, if you missed any of it, I'm not going to give you a full review, but you can go to nolachurch.com. You can look up NOLA Church on YouTube. You can download the app. All of the sermons are available on all these places. We even have our podcast on Spotify, if, if that's your, your flavor. So go back, listen, watch, get caught up. But there, there are a few things that I want to give you before I dive into part six here so you will understand some context. Calling is not a designation to a title or a position. Calling is not your purpose. In the world that we live in now, especially in religion and especially Christianity, everybody's looking for a title. Everybody's looking for a position. Everybody wants to be elevated to another place. They want everybody to look at them. They want the notoriety, but my friend, do we really want the responsibility that comes along with that? Calling is not purpose because purpose is an activity. Purpose is what you do. And I don't know about you, what I do changes depending on the day of the week. What I do changes depending on the people that I'm with. That's what purpose is. And where the enemy gets in people's minds is the enemy convinces us that we should be reaching for purpose, that we should be stretching ourselves to try to discover what our purpose is. But that's not God's plan. God is going to tell you what to do in the moment that you need to do it so you don't need to be as concerned about purpose. What you really need to be concerned is about who you are, which is your identity, which is your calling. Because what you do changes. What you do, you, you might do something right now and 15 minutes later, you're going to be doing something else. And if you're all fixated on that action in that moment, my friend, you're going to be sorely disappointed because that's when upheaval is going to enter in. That's when overflow is literally going to stop because you're living in activity instead of living in identity. This is what it's so important. We've, we've seen how God has worked through all of these individuals, starting with Abraham. God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. And every individual who has followed from this point, God has either called them out of something or he's called them into something. And last week we learned about Moses, and Moses was literally drawn out of the water. That's what his name literally means. And today we're going to the six of the, the six patriarchs, and his name is Joshua. And we've all heard the name of Joshua. Everybody heard of Joshua? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Nobody else went to Sunday school, but the pastor went, that's okay. Anyway. <laughs> Valerie, me and you went to Sunday school. We know that song, right? Anyway. Everybody's heard of Joshua. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, but he also did a lot of other stuff that they don't like to talk about because it's really cool to get fixated in that high moment. So let's dive into this real quick. I'm going to lay some foundation, and then I'm going to close this out and give you some stuff and then get you ready for what God has next for you. Joshua's name, like every other patriarch, his name is of vital importance. His name in Hebrew would be Yahshua. Everybody say Yahshua. Now you speak two languages. Cool. Congratulations. His name means God will save. This is a look into the future about what God was going to do later. In other words, God's not going to do it right now, but he's going to do it at some point. It's interesting. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua is a derivative of the name Yahshua. But the difference is Yahshua means God will save. Yeshua means that God has become my salvation. Instead of it's something that's going to happen, this is something that God has already done. You don't need to look for salvation anywhere else, amen, because there's no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Don't make me preach on the name real quick because there's authority in the name because there's authority in identity. That's why our identity is so important. But for us to understand Joshua's identity, why did God have a calling on Joshua's life? All of these other individuals had responsibility to take people out of something, to leave where they were and to be taken somewhere else. Well, Joshua's calling was literally to take them into the promise. God made a promise to Abraham. Hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations and I'm going to bless you so that through you all the nations of the world can find blessing. And I'm going to take you to a land that I've designated for you and I'm going to plant your family here and your family is going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the sand in the desert. 
but I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bring you there, but you're just going to take them out of where you are. Then we come to Joshua, and Joshua's calling is different. Joshua's calling is not to take them out of something. Joshua's calling is to take them into something. Does that make sense? So let's dive in. Let's see why he was so significant. The scripture that we read this morning for our reading is talking about the fact that Moses had a very special designated place set up where he would meet with God face to face. Now, this doesn't mean that Moses would go in the tent and God would appear in physical form and go, oh, and then they would talk. That's not what it, that's not what it was. What is being displayed here is that Moses and God had a very close personal relationship. Moses He wouldn't talk back in rebellion to God, but God would speak to Moses and Moses would ask him questions. It's interesting because Moses was asking God questions. Moses is a friend of God. He said, I wish I could be closer to God. When's the last time you asked him questions? When's the last time when he told you to do something, you went, I'm not sure I can do that. Why do you think I can do that? Instead of just saying, I ain't going to do it. Mo had a relationship with God that was different from other people. And God had told Moses a few chapters before, I want you to set up a designated place. And what's really interesting is God designed this place, and in the Bible it's called the tent of meeting. He designed this place very specifically for all of the people to be able to come and have interaction with God. But if you read here in chapter 33, a few verses before this, you'll find out that Not everybody would go. God said, I'm going to give you a place to come meet me, but everybody's like, I'm scared to get close to God. Moses, why don't you go? And it was interesting. When Moses would go into the tent of meeting, the cloud that displayed God's glory would come rest over the the opening. And the people would come stand at the tent flaps of their tents and they would watch. They'd be like, oh, that's cool. I'm glad that's him doing it. I'm glad it's not me. That, That would be scary. Don't take me into the presence of God, but Moses, yeah, by all means, spend all the time you want to in the presence of God. And it's interesting, Moses would go into this place that God had designated. In fact, one of the best translations of the tent of meeting is not this meeting place. It's actually better translated as the trysting place. Like, cool, what's a tryst? You know, I don't, I don't speak that language. The trysting place is more of a place of rendezvous. Like, you're not using good words. Okay. This was a place where people that were in love with each other would go to get away from everybody else. Like, go over here like, nobody can see. I'm going to sneak a kiss, right? Parents, do y'all do that or do, do you scared of that? Maybe your family would learn how to love each other if you do that in front of them. I'm just saying, but... The trysting place was designed specifically almost as a rendezvous. It was a secret place that God would spend with someone that he cared about. It's nothing creepy that was going on, but it's this designated secret place where I'm not just going to go randomly meet here. I'm not just going to go through motions. When I go into this place, there is something very, very specific that is going to happen here. There is something relational that is happening. Does this make sense? Moses would go in. He would have a conversation with God the way that a person speaks to a very close friend and then he would leave. But the Bible tells us that the man Joshua would not leave. This is something very, very significant about the calling that rests on Joshua's life that you and I can learn from. I want you to flip in your Bibles over to Numbers chapter 27. Joshua was Moses' assistant. He was in day-to-day training by Moses. He was was his special. He was his mini-me. He was everything that Moses needed to accomplish the work. Moses would go into the presence of God. And when the time of conversation was over, he would step back out to go to his leadership. But Joshua said, no, I'm not leaving the presence of God. If this is where God has designated to shine his glory. If this is where God has designated to meet, I'm going to do whatever I can to spend as much of my life in this place of meeting God. And let me tell you something. This is what made God notice Joshua. 
God notices Joshua's passion for the presence of God. And God says, I have to have a relationship with this individual. Let me ask you this question. How passionate are you about the house of God? Is the house of God secondary to literally everything else in your life? You're talking about going to church? That's what we call it. I'm talking about going to that designated place. How important is it? Well, I'll go if I feel like it. No, you know, I've got a lot going on this week. I'm going to step back. No, I just need some me time. No, that's the last thing that you need. You need some V time. How important is that special place that God has designated to overflow his spirit in your life? Let me ask you this. How how important is the presence of God moving in your life, in your life? Have you designated a desire to be in the presence of God saying, I can't go a week without spending some time in God's presence? How passionate are you about the overflow of his spirit into your story? Because when you and I begin to be passionate for the house of God, when you and I begin to be passionate for the presence of God, the Bible says that God notices this, and I want to show you what begins to happen. We can see how this works in our life by what we see happen in the man Joshua's life. We're we're in Numbers 27. Drop down to verse 12. I'm going to hop around a little bit here because there's a lot here. I'm I'm going to fill in the blanks, but let's look at... Verse 12 and 13. Then the Lord says to Moses, I want you to go up on this mountain, in this mountain range, and I want you to see the land that I've given. By the way, this is the land of promise. This is everything that Moses has been doing since he went back to Egypt, like we learned last week, and he led God's people out of Egypt. This is the land that God promised. By the way, this is the same land that God promised to Abraham. Moses, I want you to go up on this mountain, and I want you to see it. And when you have seen it, you will be gathered to your ancestors. Wait, what? What if God doesn't fulfill his promise in your life the way that you expect him to? Moses had dedicated everything that he was to the call of God. And God said, you're going to see it, but you won't experience it. God's harsh. No, God's not harsh. This is not going to be on the screen, but the the whole reason you see in the next verse, like Moses, the reason you're not going in and the reason that your brother Aaron didn't go in is y'all messed me up in front of the people. He says, in fact, you didn't obey my commandment and you did not display me as holy in front of the people. In other words, you displayed me as common to the world around you. Could it be that we don't experience what God has designed for us because we want to make God so nondescript? Could it be that there's no power in our marriages? Could it be that there is no power in our personal relationship with God because we've made God our buddy who sits on the dashboard of our car or he rests in a ceramic figure that we hang on the wall or we've made him our Hebrew tattoo that's on our arm? Could it be that we've debased God to the point that the world around us says, I don't want to have anything to do with your God. What kind of God is that? Could it be that we've made our relationship with God and the exemplification of his design in our life so menial and so common that we don't even look different from the world that he placed us in? You have to understand God's not being judgmental. This is the consequence of us taking him from the place of holiness and making him nothing. And he says, I can't can't bring you here. I can't trust you with this. But I want you to see it. How many of us, man, it got quiet up in the house today. Some of you, this is your first time here, like, man, why did I come to this church? Come back next week. It's going to be better, I promise you. But I want you to notice something. The reason you have to see that is you have to see how serious the next couple of verses are. 
Moses has dedicated everything in his life to this. And God says, you're not going in. I'll let you look at it, but you're not going in because you made me common. Moms, dads, we need to bring back the sanctity of God in our families. All us kids, we need to bring back the sanctity of God in our life. Never let it be said that someone who worships a pagan God holds their God in more reverence than the children of the Almighty do. They'll pray three and four times a day and we'll argue about going to church once a week. And we wonder why there's no power in our lives. Is this okay? They pour themselves out for an idea that's based in paganism and demonology. They'll even sacrifice their lives at war. And the church is like, don't you dare ask me to serve twice a month. Right? 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 They will literally stop everything in their lives to chase a pagan idea. And we get offended if the preacher preaches longer than 35 minutes. I have no agenda. I'm just saying, have we taken the Almighty and made him common? Have we taken the Waymaker? And made him just an ancient religious figure. Is he another character in a religious sounding positive fairy tale? Maybe that's why the power doesn't exist in our lives. Moses is coming face to face with the Almighty. And the Almighty says no. How do you you and I react when God looks at us and says no? But I want no. But I no. We can learn a lot from Moses. I know I'm preaching about Joshua, but you got to understand before you understand, right? That makes sense. Here we go. The story behind the story. I feel like I'm on 2020. The story behind the story. The thing about Moses. Anyway, notice what Moses does in verse 15. After God tells him no, Then Moses spoke to the Lord. It's really interesting throughout all these books. It's always like a one one verse, the Lord spoke to Moses. But when you get to this verse, then Moses spoke to the Lord. I love that. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all humankind. In other words, I know who God is. Yeah, I may have messed up, but I, I learned who God is. May that God appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and who will come in before them and who will lead them out and who will bring them in so that the community of the Lord may not be like sheep that have no shepherd. Notice what Moses does. Hey, I can't go, God. You know all things. You you are the God of my spirit and you're the God of all these spirits. In fact, you're the God of all the spirits of all the humankind that will ever live. You are the God. You know who needs to replace me. God, why don't you go ahead and appoint somebody? Instead of crying, instead of complaining, instead of going on a four-day rant on Facebook about how disappointed he was in God, he just said, you know more than I do. I trust you that you know what the next step needs to be. In verse 18, the Lord's like, Mo, I like where you're going. And he replies to Moses, I want you to take Joshua. You remember the guy that when you would leave the tent of meeting, when you would leave that tent of our special place, you remember Joshua would stay back and he would just stay there in my presence? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take him, a man in whom is the Spirit, And spirit here is capitalized, so we know what spirit we're talking about, right? This is the spirit of God. Notice what he tells Moses to do. I want you to lay your hand on him. Not, I'm going to lay my hand on him. Moses, I want you to lay your hand on your replacement. How uncomfortable is it when God tells you to be involved in developing the person who replaces you? Talk about awkward when you got some time, go read the Elijah-Elisha dynamic. God says, Elijah, go choose your replacement. In fact, I've already chosen him. I want you to go choose him. And Elijah pouts the whole time. It's awkward. 
Are you ready for the awkward conversations when your calling doesn't work out the way that you expect it to? Are you ready for those awkward moments when everything you've designed in your mind about what you're going to do for God, he's like, no, you're not. What you're going to do for me is you're going to choose the person who's going to take your place. Because it's not about your activity, it's about your identity, and it's about this relationship between you and I. Hey, leader, if your team can't function without you, it might be time for you to find someone else and you take a little break so you can see that it can function without you because it's not you doing it, it's God doing it. If you're irreplaceable, thank you for dying for our sins. Is this okay? I mean, normally I'm hooping and hollering, but we're in kind of teach mode. Is this all right today? I want you to lay your hand on him, Moses. I want you to be involved in this process. I want you to lay your hand on him, and then I want you to set him before the priest, Eleazar. He's the one who is designed to connect the people with God and before the whole community. There are layers to this. First off, Moses, you're going to select him. You're going to take him in front of the one who connects me with the people, and then you're going to place him in front of the people because I want everyone to see what is happening. Calling does not take place privately. Calling has significant impact on the entire community of faith. God's not going to give you a private calling. This is why there's no such thing as a personal relationship with God. Because if calling truly is relationship, it's all about getting you and I into a position where we are completely surrendered to the Almighty and He fills us up and He pours out of us. It's about us impacting the lives around us. God is going to take us and he's going to put us in front of the people who connect individuals with God. And then he's going to place us in front of the entire community. Let me tell you this. If you have a calling in your life, everyone else in this church is going to know it. They may not recognize what it is in the moment, but they are going to recognize that there is something in you that God is doing in you. You don't need to tell people, I'm called. We should know. If we don't know, maybe you're not. Or maybe we all need to spend some time in the altar. I had no intention of like going here today. Like God, God's doing something. This, this okay? Everybody still like me? All right, cool. I want to be liked. Anyway, I, I want you to. I want to put. I want you to put him in front of the priests. I want you to put him in front of the community. And then I want you to commission him publicly. I don't want you to do anything in the shadows. I don't want you to do anything where it's not seen. God does not do his work where there is no public impact. God is intentionally drawing you into a relationship so that relationship with him can be impactful in someone else's story. But notice this in verse 20. Then you... Who's he talking about? Moses. Hey, Mo, then you must delegate some of your authority to Joshua. Here here is the problem with spiritual leadership. First off, we we don't teach it properly enough. We're working on it. I, I love our discovery circle of the church because we're intentionally trying to get people closer to what true biblical leadership is, but where we mess up oftentimes is we don't spend enough time talking about delegation because, you see, we've equated purpose and calling as being one of the same, which means we're looking for a position and we're looking for a title. And when we get a title or a position, we don't want anyone taking it away from us. And we feel like when we get that title and position that there's nothing else that we need to do except simply walk around, eat grapes and cheese, and just, like, be in our position. Let me tell you this, the pastor who can't take out the trash is the same pastor who won't help you deal with the trash that's in your life. If there's a job that's too beneath you called individual, you're not chasing your call, you're chasing a purpose. And that's not what God designed for you. Jesus said the greatest among you will be the servant. You want to learn how to be a leader? Hey, can I wash your feet? 
No, no, that's not what leaders, that's what the God of all gods did. He lowered himself, wrapped a towel around his waist, got down on the ground, and got his beautiful, amazing, Christly hands all over the funk that was all over their feet. And said, let me show you what real servanthood is all about. Let me show you what real leadership is truly all about. It's about bringing yourself down so that you can lift people up. Moses, I want you to delegate some of the authority I've given you, and I want you to give it to him so that the whole community of the Israelites will be obedient. What kind of calling is this? What kind of calling is resting on Joshua? This is a very specific calling that 99.99% of us today are going to live with. In fact, I would say probably the majority of the people in this room watching the, the video or maybe even joining us live, the majority of us that are hearing this word of God today have the same type of calling on our life that Joshua did. This is what is known as an ordained authority. Everybody say ordained. Now, that, that has become a religious title. I, I love when people come to the church, yeah, I was ordained, good for you. That doesn't mean anything. You won't find God ordaining people. You'll find God's people ordaining people. Example right here is Moses is the one who ordains Joshua. Like you can be ordained in this church, but that doesn't mean you go to another church and all of a sudden you're an ordained minister there. That's not how that works. Because this church may have ordained you, but the other church may not. This has to be done publicly in front of the congregation, right? Does that make sense? Ordination is a designation within a congregation. Man, that's a lot of shuns right there. <laughs> but it, it is a tool that God uses to place someone into a position of, of foundational authority where they become the foundation that the congregation is built off of and they also become the spiritual authority covering over the congregation. It's ordained authority. It has nothing to do with you unless you have spent some time in the presence of God. It has everything to do with what the leader that God placed in your life sees in you, and then God says, hey, leader, I want you to go place that authority on them. 99.99% of us, this is the calling that is on our life. Well, God's calling me to this special ministry, and God's calling me here. God's No, he's not. That's why he placed the lonely in families. That's why he took you out of being by yourself and placed you in a community. He says, I want, this, I want this community to pour some things in you. I want the spiritual authority of this community to place their hands on you. I want them to place you up in front of the connectors and in front of the entire community. And I want you to take authority and delegate it to them because when they step back out into the world in which they live, my authority is going to flow through them and it's going to impact them. But if they don't submit to the authority of the house, I can't trust them with the authority that they need in the world. That's how that works. Well, I've never heard that. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Toward the end of that verse, and Moses did exactly what God said. He didn't push back. Now, I'm, I'm getting to the end of the sermon. Joshua chapter 1. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at a few verses here. This okay this morning? Anybody learn anything? Okay. Up to this point, we see God speaking to Moses and Moses turning around and speaking to Joshua. We see God engaging in conversations with Moses about Joshua. I'm, I'm pretty sure some of these conversations took place while Joshua was in the room. That's so awkward. You're acting like I'm not even here, but I got plans for you and it ain't time yet. I'm going to trust it to the leader and when it's time, the leader is going to call you out and designate you and ordain you to carry the weight of authority. Verse 1 of Joshua 1. I love how just to the point God is. It's interesting. Believers, we like to dance around the point because we're trying to convince people that what we're saying is true and we don't want them to say no, so we dance around the point and, until like we, we march around the walls of Jericho trying to like wear them down. But notice how, God, notice how God deals with it. After Moses, the Lord's servant, died, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
That's just awesome. Mo's gone. Hey, Josh. Josh. Hey. Mo ain't here no more. So many of us. Oh, hear me, hear me, hear me. So many of us get stuck in yesterday's experience. You know, when I was 13, I had an encounter with God. It was awesome. That's what Pentecostals do. We say something, that has to follow it. The Baptists are like, I had an encounter with God. (laughs) Nothing against Baptists, but y'all just better than we are, I guess. We have encounters with God. We're like, ah! We live in the past because we like how the past feels. But God sent me to this house today to tell somebody who is Joshua, Moses is dead. Let go of yesterday's encounter. It's time to walk into a brand new, fresh anointing. The same God that was on Moses' life wants to do something in your life. And if all you do is sit in yesterday's story, you'll never experience who God is and what he wants to do in you in the here and in the now. Josh, Moses is dead. Let him go. One of the greatest lessons I've ever learned in life was from the great philosopher Jack Handy. Jack Handy said, if you ever drop your keys into a river of molten lava, let them go, man, because they're gone. If you ever wake up and Moses is dead, let him stay dead. My mind immediately goes to Isaiah. Isaiah was a man of God. He was anointed by God. He was a prophet in the king's temple or in the king's court. And King Uzziah was the greatest king that had ever existed up to this point. And Isaiah was infatuated with his leader. Oh, man, Uzziah is amazing. Yeah, God's awesome, but Uzziah. And Isaiah is talking about God, and he's doing it, but he's really yammering a lot about Uzziah until you get to chapter 5, and he goes, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Could it be that Joshua never even really realized what God wanted to do until Moses was gone? Don't hang on to yesterday. you got to let it go. Moses was a friend of God. He got to have conversations with God face to face the way that a man talks to a friend. But there's going to come a time that yesterday has to go because God's got a new place to take you. The past calling is to get you out of something, but there's a fresh calling to take you into something. And the past will not carry you there. It can only take you up to this point. I received the Holy Ghost when I was 12 years old. Good for you. When's the last time that you got lost in the power of God to the point that you didn't even know where you were? I repented of my sins and made him the Lord of my life. Awesome. When did you get water baptized into the name of Jesus so that your sins would be remitted and washed away forever? When is the last time that you uh, walked down to the front and lifted up your hands and were baptized in the Spirit of God just like it happened in the book of Acts? It's great what happened in the past, but when is the new going to happen for you? The ordained calling has nothing to do with yesterday. The ordained calling has everything to do with where God's taken you. And I believe that I'm here in the house today talking to a bunch of Joshua's where God has got an amazing future plan for you. And he's saying, you're hanging on to yesterday and it's time to let go. I'm the same God, but I'm not taking you to the same place. I want you to notice this. Moses is dead. Get ready. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. ready. Say like the bishop, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. (laughs) It ain't time to go yet, but I want you to get ready. And once you get ready, I want you to cross the Jordan River. So many of us want to cross the Jordan River before we're ready. You got to get ready before you cross. You can't cross till you're ready. 
You're wearing your fancy suede loafers. You can't cross a muddy river wearing your fancy suede loafers. I'd kick them off like I did last week, but I was wearing socks last week. You don't want to see my toes this week. We don't wash feet in this church, so I never really have to clean my feet properly. That's a whole other thing. That's a joke. That's a joke. Relax. Get ready. Cross the Jordan River. Notice this. Lead the people into the land that I am ready to hand over to them. Oh, man, this battle with God is so heavy. I'm so wore out. Maybe it's because you crossed the river too dang quick. He wanted to hand it to you, but you felt like you needed to fight for it. You felt like you knew better than God, and you crossed the water too quick. And he said, get your crack back over on the other side. Get ready and walk over here with me. I've got something to do in you. I don't need a leader. I don't need a leader. I know where to go. Somebody told me this past week, I don't need someone to tell me what God says. Hog pucky. You better believe when God starts talking to me, Pastor Luke, where you at? I need to talk to you. Pastor Luke, don't answer the phone because he lives out in Mississippi and I'm not sure they have cell service. Dad, Dad, I need to talk to you. God's saying this to me and I got to make sure before I step out that I'm ready to step out. You need a man of God in your life. You need a woman of God in your life. You need a leader in your life. Hang on, but don't lock your life onto their experience. At some point, you're going to have to let it go. Let it go. I won't do it, but you want me to. You got to let go of yesterday and walk into the land because when you step into the land that God's got designed for you, he's going to hand it to you. Why are you so worn out in your relationship with God? because you're doing all the work. What kind of God do you serve that makes you do all the work? He didn't call you to be his servant. He called you to be his child. Put down the shovel. Put down the broom. Go hop up in daddy's lap and say, I love you, dada. <laughs> Drop down to verse 6. Josh, be strong and brave. You must lead these people in the conquest of the land that I solemnly promised their ancestors I would hand over to them. You got to do this, but you got to be strong and you got to be brave. I know, I know you got questions. I know you don't know everything. Sound familiar? I, you know, I would step out, but I need to know more information. God, can we talk about, no, can't do it. Be strong and be brave and trust who I am, not trust who Moses is. Don't trust your past experience. Trust who God is. Follow this. Make sure, <laughs> be strong and brave, but make sure that you are very strong and brave. Because God knew that Joshua was going to hit Jericho and go like, oh, crap. Make sure you're very strong and brave and then carefully obey. Oh, whoa, whoa, help. I did not sign up for obedience, God. I'm a servant of grace. I've been baptized in the New Testament. The Old Testament has no context in my life. I am in grace. I can live however I want to because uh, I'm always saved. I'm never not, not going to be saved. I can do whatever I want. Everything. Don't make me obey. No, be strong, be, be very strong and brave, and carefully obey all the law my servant Moses charged you to keep. Do not swerve. Problem is, so many of us like to swerve. I love Jesus. Not today. Jesus, you're the greatest. I can't wait to do what you want me to do. God, whatever you need me to do, I want to be a leader in your presence, God, but not right now. My kids, it's heavy. Work is tough. Swerve. The problem is we listen to Bruno and we put some swerve in our attitude. I know he said perm, but whatever, it, it still fit. Y'all, stop swerving. Stop swerving. Did God call you? Stop swerving. 
Is God messing with you? Is God pulling you into a deeper relationship? Stop fighting him. Stop looking for a way out. Stop looking for a way to make it make sense. Just trust the one that called you as the same one who can accomplish the work through you. Stop swerving. Look at your neighbor and say, stop swerving. Don't swerve from it to the right or to the left. Why? Why not swerve? Why do I have to obey so that you may be successful in all that you do? Man, I wish I was successful in my walk with God. You've been swerving. That's why you're not successful. He wants to make you successful, but you keep turning. And when you turn, he's got to, like, refresh the map. Recalculating, you know. Don't swerve. That looks good over there. I feel like the Lord is pulling me to another ministry over here. You're swerving. That got a little tight. Maybe I should hit that one again. He didn't place you in a group of families. He placed you in a family and placed authority under you and over you and around you, not for you to go running around like a wild chicken. He wanted you to be effective in the place that he's pouring into you so that you can effectively pour out of you. Stop swerving so that you will be successful in all that you do. Drop down. Verse 9, I repeat, be strong and brave. But now he adds to it. Don't be afraid and don't panic. For I, the Lord your God, am with you in all that you do. Let me tell you what we hear. Here's what we hear, y'all. Here's what we hear. We hear, obey this as long as it doesn't interfere with your political mindset. I haven't given you a spirit of fear until it bumps politics. I haven't given you a spirit of fear until it bumps the pandemic. Yeah, I went there. Somebody needs to. Some of us trust Dr. Tony more than we trusted Jesus. And we shaped everything in our life about what some guy that's overpaid is saying about something that he doesn't know enough about. Ask yourself the question, where has he been the last few weeks? I'm not being political, I'm being real. Because we heard a talking head on TV and we got scared. And we went, oh. Like, Pastor, why are you talking about COVID? It's over. Don't you know we're at war? We don't have to talk about COVID anymore. Exactly. Pastor, you don't take it serious. You better believe I take it serious. But I know a God who's greater than any pandemic. You see, here's how the enemy works through this. If I can get you not trusting anything, and if I can get you scared, by the way, Facebook, it's okay. Take it down. I know you're going to. YouTube, we tried. Whatever because they'll take this one down because I'm not speaking to the narrative, but somebody needs to speak against the narrative of darkness that's trying to invade the church. This has nothing to do with medicine. This has everything to do with godliness. God is not a God that makes us fearful. We don't need to be stupid, but we need to not be fearful. He sent us out into the world and said, I want you to be brave and I want you to be courageous. Don't have fear and don't panic. What is... The root word of pandemic, panic. What did we do when the pandemic hit? We panicked. And the enemy said, phase one complete. I got them used to not going back to the meeting place. So they didn't stay in the presence of God. They'll never go into the land they're supposed to go to. And it all connects. Some of us live in fear because we're chasing title, we're chasing position, living in yesterday's experience, and God's wanting to do something you in you in the here and the now. But when he's looking you in the eye, he's saying, but you can't be fearful and you can't live life without courage and you can't panic. You need to trust me. Pastor, what are you saying? Here, here's what I'm saying. 
The same God that spoke to Abraham is the same God that hung out with Joshua in the trysting place when Moses went back to serve the people. And because of that, this is the same God that tells Joshua, I know it looks scary. Cross the river. I know you don't understand everything. Cross the river. Oh, you, you don't know how to cross the river? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk up to the Jordan River. By the way, the Jordan River represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Red Sea represents the baptism of repentance. The bitter waters at Myra represent water baptism where we're cleansed from everything in our past. And when you cross the Jordan River, that's you receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go into the land that God promised you so you live in that land of fulfillment. But I don't expect you to build a bridge over that river. I want you to go up to that river with the same boldness that you have when you were nothing but a little snot-nosed kid and you walked up to the Red Sea and I went boom and the waters parted. I will do the same thing into the promised land because I am the same God. This is why you don't have to fear the same God that spoke the worlds into existence. I love what Olga did this morning, like breaking down, exposing Jesus literally in every book of the Bible because the same God in creation is the same God right here and right now. And he has ordained a calling on you. And he says, I've got something in mind for your life, but you need to learn to trust me because I'm the way maker. The waters are rushing, but I go, and a way is made right through the middle of the river. Let me ask you this question. Who's your God? Has your God given you a spirit of fear? Or has your God given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind? Why those three things? Power, anointing. Influence in the spirit realm. Authority. Love. Relationship with him and relationship with other believers. Sound mind. Zero panic. What's Congress going to pass? Who gives a flying rat's toenail what Congress passes? I'm worshiping the same God. What's going to happen in this war? Who cares what happens in this war? I'm worshiping the same God. Are they, going to re, are they going to reinstitute the draft? I don't know, but if they do, I got the same God. My kid's sick, but I got the same God. My marriage is on the rocks, but I got the same God. I don't have enough money, but I got the same God. I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm not going to give in to panic. I'm not going to give in to what's happening in the world because the same God who called me is the same God who will usher me in. Man, I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. Are you worshiping the same God of Abraham? Are you worshiping somebody else's God? I don't know about you, but I, I want to take on the attitude of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we make miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who.